Nice to see you guys. Nice to see you, Brian. Are you in Miami? I am. Guys, I just wanted to reflect on something for a second. I didn't love it that the ranker guy got really mad at me. <laughs> but we had brought it up on the podcast and I wrote about it and I wanted just to reflect on what I learned for a second. Right. Because it's all stand behind most of what I said. But I think that when you write something for people, you have to sometimes tame the impulse to be cynical or dismissive or just not take other people's endeavors seriously enough. It's good to think about what they're going to read into what you've written. Now, I, I just wanted to bring this up because I think it made a couple of points. And I think that what the very enterprising, I must say, CEO of Ranker had to say was, listen, I built a business, it makes money, and the people in the company are extremely proud of it, as am I. And I said, you should be. But um, he didn't love that I called it non-premium, quote unquote, I put in quotes. And I think this is an interesting thing because we've talked about this for a while, the kind of w w what is premium on the internet. And it was kind of the point I was making that a seemingly premium millennial generational media brand had to take their video and put it on the non-premium, well, what I called non-premium place to satisfy an obligation to an advertiser. When I think about what premium is, I think, well, premium either means some of the following. It means that the brand that is presenting the information does something or is perceived in a way that creates premium value for an advertiser or for the people that read it. And it suggests that maybe the audience is premium or the experience is premium. And ultimately that it sells for a premium either to an advertiser or a consumer. But the internet kind of dispensed with all of that. And it sort of said, well, if it's premium, it'll perform as premium. Premium, we used to think UGC was non-premium, but now certainly UGC doesn't separate premium and non-premium because you could have premium UGC. And a lot of people think, for example, Instagram is premium, particularly in, you know, certain segments of that audience. Yeah. Premium is a funny old school media delineation that I don't think is super relevant anymore. Well, it's a sales, and, it's a, it's a sales tactic. Premium. Yeah. When people keep waving the premium flag, that means don't measure us. That's my point. Well, and I had sort of called much of Ranker UGC, but a huge amount of it, or at least apparently the externally facing stuff, is professionally created by their writers. What Ranker does is no different than what every other premium, quote unquote, publisher does in the background. They just don't talk about it. Every single, quote unquote, premium publisher has an SEO chop shop. They're just not as good at it. That's what I think. Right. That's why YouTube, like years ago, they started, we don't like to talk about premium content. We talk about premium audience. I was like, that's, that's a good line. The Ranker people built an efficient media machine, obviously, and they should be proud of that. And I presume that it is valuable to an audience. You know, that's, but like, that's fine. A lot of like premium has always been used to charge more. It's like luxury. Luxury used to mean craft and you're getting higher quality, that's not true. In many cases, that is not true because it's, it's totally qualitative. What makes something quote unquote luxury? There's a reason that Gucci doesn't say where this shit is made. We had in media a pretty clear idea of what was premium and what wasn't. At least we used well, it. You, you on the maker side or those on the like buyer side or the audience side? Public perception, certainly on the creator side and definitely on the media buying side. It looks like premium used to mean something, but now it means everything to everyone, so it doesn't mean anything. I don't think Ranker is a premium site. I think an iPhone is a premium phone, while a $250 Android phone that you get at the back of a Verizon store isn't premium. We kind of know what it means. It doesn't mean that it's bad. Ranker probably performs and does its job, but I wouldn't go to the Ranker party or wear the t-shirt. I would wear the Ranker t-shirt. I would wear it. <laughs>
I think there's it's one on, on its way. No. <laughs> I mean, nobody said you were premium. Clark, send me the, <laughs> I have premium audiences. I, this is because I was thinking about this with like luxury because even though I do travel in Comfort Plus, I've been to a lot of luxury hotels in my life. Because all of Digiday's events were at these quote-unquote luxury properties. And luxury hotels are such a scam. These places are terrible. They're almost all uniformly terrible. And I think mostly it's because Americans can't do luxury. When Americans think luxury, they think we're going to just say good morning to you 15,000 times. The place that we were staying down here, it's a Mandarin Oriental. You had to re-log into the Wi-Fi every 15 minutes. Put in your credentials every 15 minutes. Okay, so you don't even think through the shower didn't work properly. Okay. 700 bucks a night it was this weekend. I checked and the shower didn't even work properly. An alarm goes off in the middle of the night. It's all to me where luxury is gone as this famous premium is it's just this excuse to charge more. And like they don't think through on a craft basis of like how this is actually an elevated experience. Well, they may have identified you as non-premium and gave you the commensurate experience. <laughs> but the, the, the <laughs> but my wife booked the room and she is in the premium bucket. That which she I is, believe you should that, agree. Th- my wife will really appreciate me putting her in the premium bucket. Is that Mandarin the one in Miami? Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, it's on Brickle Key. Yeah, that place is it's ridiculous. Terrible. It's like the, the, it's the like you, you know what? Just go to the Four Seasons. They know what they're doing, and the consist and the experience is, is uniformly good. And uniformly consistent. The pool reminded me of Jeff Kirkland's pool when I was growing up on Pool and Drive. More kids, that's about it. There's this type of premium that you just pay for. It's obviously not great. Have you seen those Virtue phones? V-E-R-T-U? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah those Virtue. are not around Virtue. anymore. Yeah. Do you know they're back with a, the Meta Virtue? It's the first premium crypto blockchain phone and it goes from $3,600 for the baseline to $36,000 for one with some endangered species leather on the back of it. And I do think there's a thing about that kind of premiumness that you get in certain hotels where you feel like, ah, oh, this is just a racket. This is just a scam to get people who made some money and don't know where to spend it. But I also think Supreme is the same thing. All this stuff feels. But it's also, it's an American thing, I do believe. Because like luxury nah, is man. a European and stuff well you know, by a lot of Asian countries, but American yeah. luxury is, is an oxymoron. We shouldn't even try to do it. We do supply chains. We used to do supply chains well. We do indoor plumbing extremely well. We do capitalism amazingly. <laughs> <laughs> there are those like, hotels in the We're deserts Android, in, in Utah know? or something like that. I, mean, I think America can do luxury well. Really? Now, if you want, I mean, if you want to see a lot of virtue phones, you should travel to Dubai. That's what you'll find. It's Virtu. 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 Yeah. So I once saw, saw like a virtue phone. It didn't even take fo- it couldn't take photos. And, and the first thing I had was like, "Do you have a virtue phone? You're not like taking like selfies." No, no, somebody else's. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess that's the topic. Should've we could talk this out because it's been very much on my mind. I mean, premium is an interesting idea. Like, I still don't get supreme. I wrote months ago like about signaling premium, and I think it's really difficult to do because, and I think that's why quote unquote premium publishing and media brands are suffering now is because all of the little hand-waving and the tricks that they could do with the heft of the pages and the 
glossy photos and stuff has been taken away from them. And particularly when you're in feeds, you get all that stuff gets stripped away and everything is mm-hmm. kind of really hard to fight for the, that kind of premium when you take out, if you take like a Vogue article and put it on a freaking webpage, eh, I don't know, is that premium anymore? We tried for a while with formatting, image size, the ultimate premium on the web is a modesty of ad placement. Yes. <laughs> I like yes. that term, a modesty of ad placement. Alex and I tried to create a premium construct a long time ago called the clean campaign where we would limit the number of the the number of ads that you placed on the site and I thought that was the right way to look at premium then and the goal was to get premium CPMs on the media we sold premium ad network talk about oxymorons would you consider paying up for super premium men's fashion of any type what's super premium well Cuccinelli Lower like piano. Cuccinelli guy? Oh, I'm not I paying mean, $1,000 for a t-shirt. Yeah, I no, like his vibe. I love his stories. His blog posts are nice, but no. I shop at Theory. Basically, all the stuff I buy is from Theory, which is not super premium, but more premium than No, it's accessible premium. That's, yeah. accessible. That's you should nastiche. Be up you you, you yeah, need to you be should, going You out. should leave like, Theory. Like a t-shirt Alex. is $75. $75. Alex. Yeah. You got to go you gotta keep Theory. You got to go up, Alex. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm, I think I'm, in, I'm in I'm in comfort plus, and I do some theory. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we kicked it off like that. My apologies to the people that I somehow offended. But this is probably going to be the longest cold open. Okay, let's do it. Becoming an- anti cold open, they're, they're just getting cheesy and predictable. So let's use something like this, which was a substantive mini conversation and almost sure. like a mini pod in and of itself. Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a conversation about patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey. I write the Rebooting Newsletter and host the Rebooting Show podcast. Each week, I'm joined by longtime media executive and investor Troy Young, writer of the People vs. Algorithms newsletter, and Alex Schleifer, former head of design at Airbnb and founder of Universal Entities. This week, we're discussing the future of bundles. In between, Troy tries to defend his slander of rancor, and Alex comes out and wishes the advertising industry burns to the ground. But I want to focus on the bundles part. Bundles have been the cornerstone of the media business. Tim Barksdale once said, there are two ways to make money in business, bundling and unbundling. And the thing about bundling is everyone wants to be the bundler and no one wants to be the bundled. And for regular people, the ones we too often call the audience or worse users, bundles are a lot like what Winston Churchill supposedly said about democracy. It's the worst option other than all the others. I mean, think about the unbundling of cable. I have no idea what show is where, and I'm definitely paying more than I ever did. So this is another example of being careful what you wish for. With the rise of AI, it is safe to assume that technology will continue its role as the bundler of media. Moving beyond its control of distribution choke points to rebundle content as if a robot was quote-unquote creating it. Of course, the robot is pulling off a parlor trick, and the choice to make robots, these robots, seem conversational and quasi-human is no mistake. For the news industry, bundling long ago was taken away from them, given to search and social algorithms, and now there are new attempts to rebundle news articles, most notably with the app Artifact created by the co-founders of Instagram. And in this conversation, we take stock of the state of bundling in media and what form it will take next. 
Thanks to everyone who has left a rating and review of this podcast. Thanks in particular to Linda Holiday, who added a comment to her five-star Apple review to say, this is the kind of clear-eyed take on the intersection between media and technology that might have saved a few publishers over the years. And thank you, Linda. And in particular, thank you as an editor before AI started doing all the copy editing for hyphenating clear-eyed because it is a modifier after all. Okay, enough of the copy editing talk. Here's our conversation. What are we doing today, Brian? You brought a great topic to the table. I'm looking forward to discussing it. Well, I don't know if I brought a good topic to the table, but then Alex wanted to talk about like passion or something. You were like, what did you have to say? No, I think (laughs) Alex wanted to talk about mysticism. I like that. You don't have to have the best idea in the room. You just have to have the second worst. I know. I just feel that sometimes we talk about how we can, how much money is left to squeeze out of advertising and we forget that we got to start making shit we love. But that's not what we talk yeah, about. Yeah, but today. people want to know about CAC to LTV ratios. Oh. Yes, exactly. We got to get right. practical. This is not a time for making things you love. This is the time for monetization. We've talked this about is this. the time. There's a season for everything. This right. is a it's season like, of monetization. It feels like we're starting to really frack the advertising advertising oil for every last cent left until there's nothing left in the media landscape. So let's do it. Scorched earth it. Media fracking. That's a great name. You should actually register that for the new ad tech company. Ad fracker. Ad fracker. It's like AI is like brain fracking or knowledge fracking. Nobody in Europe, Alex, would ever do fracking. They would never even think to do it. No, no, they wouldn't. It feels like we're trying to talk about everything except the topic today. Yeah, Brian, get us into our topic. What I want to get at a little bit is, one is, what was the role of the bundle? And then how that got destroyed by the internet, assuming you agree. And then also how to think about bundling from a product point of view. Hey, Brian, it's probably worth it. You know, maybe I'll throw this back to you for a sec because we expect a high degree of media comprehension with the audience. But I don't even know if people understand thoroughly what you mean by the bundle, unbundling. Maybe you should just kind of set it up definitionally for the audience. To me, like a media product historically has been a bundle. Let's just take news for example. I mean, my first sort of relationship with news was the Philadelphia Inquirer. You used to go to the end of the driveway, get the Philadelphia Inquirer before the bus came. And I would pour over the baseball statistics to try to figure out how batting averages changed. I only read the sports section. And then I started reading the comics section. But the, the newspaper, the Inquirer, was a bundle of all sorts of stuff. And they made a ton of money off classified ads. The bundles could be very, very lucrative because you brought people in, you bundled together a lot of content, and there was people in the house who didn't want the comics. It didn't really matter. I wasn't into the horoscopes. I wasn't into Ann Landers. But it was a bundle. The cable bundle was was around. You bundle all these things together, you're able to extract more value. People always say, well, there's stuff in here that I don't want. I just want to, you know, it's the same as like the album. I only wanted two songs. The internet's changed all that. It unbundled everything. You could just pick and choose. Would you say that changed the economics? Yeah. Would you say a a social media feed, like a news feed on Twitter or Facebook, is a bundle in a way? I think that is a new bundle, yes. Okay. Yeah. I think that's been the bundle we've been living with. In the analog era, we had completely different bundles. Magazine is a bundle to me, isn't it? Yep. Well, I think it was made even more of a bundle by the publishers being incentivized to make headlines that work nearly independently. So you could just scan it over Twitter and never have to visit the site. 
So it felt like you were getting all your news on something like Twitter without having to read anything. And that probably made it feel much more like a bundle. You're talking about the social media feed. Yeah, yeah, the social media feed. Because otherwise you would say, well, it's just a series of links and you still have to go sign up to the New York Times or hop onto another system, see somebody else's ads. But I think over time what's become apparent is that those news companies are pretty eager to just put content that will get engagement even if it doesn't get clicks. I don't know why they do that, honestly. Yeah, you know, technology has this way of creating layers and through that warring bundlers. So if you follow Brian's bundling explanation and you start with the story and then the brand, which was the magazine or the newspaper, now we have aggregators fighting to create a layer. There's aggregators, there's social media properties. The browser is arguably a place for bundling. I would say Apple bundles at the OS level with Apple News or almost at the device level. So there's everybody's kind of fighting for that position because it's extremely valuable. And if you get the right bundling position, you can extract a toll on the consumer. And so there's always this funny kind of two-way, everybody wants to be on top and to control the bundle. And there's this kind of tension of the people that are most important to the bundle that want to be their own bundle. And they're the ones underneath that have so-called quote-unquote premium content or highly valuable units in the bundle, and they want to be a bundle. And the other people want to kind of create user-centered layers on top of that content so that they can own the bundle. It's interesting. I thought about it for a second. You know, Yahoo was an early bundler, and they did it through... The the classic bundling story in platform land would be to create utilities that brought in a lot of traffic, like email or search or, you know, financial information, which was kind of Yahoo or sports information and then kind of bundle a bunch of other content into a feed around that. And then once they started seeing, do you remember this, Brian, when they saw, or or Mm -hmm. Alex, we saw threats from other people that were becoming these new aggregators, whether it was, there was one called Buzz Tracker. Remember that kid from England, that 17-year-old Nick, who had that Yahoo bought his company called Sumly, which I, was... Yahoo News Digest, that was my favorite. Yeah, and trying to turn that into their the, their bundling mechanism. Even Tumblr, arguably, was a, was a bundle, a bundling mechanism that was... Well, I mean, you're you know, missing out the biggest one, right? RSS feeds, that used to be the original bundle. I used to curate Yeah, but that's a, human, that's a human program bundle, right? Sure, that's fair. What is it that we love the bundle? People love bundles. People love simplicity. People just love bundles. Yeah. I mean, who wants to think about all this stuff? I mean, it's becoming a nightmare now, right? I think we're being attracted to the bundle again because I think people felt that cord cutting was like a nice thing to do so that it would have more control. But at the end of the day, like control is just becoming overhead. And I think the bundle is just attractive. And let's go back to that to that artifact app. I've been using the artifact app for a few weeks now. I like it. I think it's great. But I hit a snag, which is that I, I use Apple News as well. And I paid for some sort of Apple News premium stuff, which means I get access to a bunch of premium newspapers. So when I click the link, I read the article. In Reflect, it still sends me places that hit a paywall. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to use that. I just actually forgot that I paid for a bundle on Apple because it's so integrated. And I wonder how anyone's going to compete with that. With Apple? It doesn't link through. You can't credentialize on Artifact yet. So when you hit Wall Street Journal content, it's you get kind of flummoxed. When you hit FT content, the same thing happens. Anything that's paywalled is not really sorted yet. You wouldn't want to make that easy for them if you were the paywaller. 
Right. Yeah, I actually did a podcast with an app that I think is an interesting approach to news bundling. It's called Informed. And they're actually targeting English-speaking and reading Europeans who they're never going to subscribe. They're in Germany. They're very unlikely that they're going to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, but they want like every now and again an article. So they're actually aggregating, bundling, paywalled content mostly from American and, and British publications, and particularly starting with a with a European audience, non-English speaking primarily. Hmm. How is that legal? Well, now they're striking deals the old-fashioned way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because nobody, so kind not, of nobody like very few people who are sitting in you know, Dusseldorf or something like this are going to shell out like a full subscription to the Wall Street Journal. It's unlikely. There's a few nice things about Artifact. They're thoughtful application designers. I like that it tells you the number of reads. I like that it tells you if you sent it to someone, if they opened it or not. That's a nice feature. I like that it connects to your network automatically so that it can be influenced by what your friends read. Here's the thing, though. It sent me down some rabbit holes. It's, oh, my God, you like Tesla. You like Elon Musk. So I started getting tons of I could have stories. told you that. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I, I've used aggregation apps before, and I find them Sounds like know, the technology is working, Troy. Compelling for a while, and then I stop using them. So the question on Artifact is, and and clearly their aspirations are much more than just being a newsreader. They want it to start by finding the things that you're interested in and then create a layer around content that becomes a layer for commentary, a layer for connection. I'm sure they have sort of social media-like aspirations. I think they're going to get liftoff. They'll get a lot of people using this so they can start to see behavior and start to optimize the AI to deliver better content. The question is, will they be able to layer communication-type applications on top of content so that it becomes becomes an important new social application. We'll see. Everything doesn't but have he, to turn into a social network, Troy. Yeah, I don't want to follow <laughs> you on Artifact. <laughs> okay, so uh, wh what are you saying? Are you saying that, that this app's going to work? Here's the thing. Communication apps are terrible businesses often. And I think if you build a pure Is media that true? Yeah. How can you say I mean, that? Well, is Facebook a communication app? Well, Snapchat. Twitter. Is Instagram a communication app? The communication components of it are the least profitable. It's the feed yeah. and the media. Chat doesn't monetize. Chat doesn't monetize. I don't think it's the right time not to build another social network. It is definitely the right time to make to build something that makes sense of content. Okay. But it's also Once we have a nice newsreader, what do we put behind it, Mr. Product Person, on Artifact? I guarantee you there will be a layer for commentary and interaction. And so please don't take my positioning it as a social network too literally, but I think that connecting the people that read the content will be a strategy for that product team. Well, it's going to be an interesting tension for them because the spiel right now is that they're sending people straight to the sites. And I think those sites want to maintain those communities. Right? Oh, I think it would make it, it would be a mess. I mean, come on. They're going to say there's too much friction. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you got to put the content on here. Oh, no, we just didn't know oh, this. Yeah. Test and iterate. Yeah, it's always gets caught up in the monetization. Okay, so you create a layer on top of other people's stuff and you tell them, kumbaya, we're going to send users onto your pages so that the ad server cranks away and then they're going to say holy shit we run out of capital <laughs> we need to either create a subscription layer on top of this thing or we need to create our own ad insertion point what do you pick is it valuable enough to pay for 
in which case you're sort of crowding out the, the media layer below you because you've got a new layer to take money from the consumer. And then this is kind of the thing that's happening, that's going to happen with ChatGPT as they take a toll or as, you know, now Meta's taking a toll with Instagram, you pay them or Twitter's trying to take a toll. So now we have the social network layer trying to take a toll, not just advertising. All of this puts pressure on the media layer below. I guess I'm just trying to say Artifact is a really interesting thing because it's a decent product. But A, do you get tired of it and go back to what, doing what you used to do? And what was that? And B, what happens when they have to make it a business? Where does it go? I think they have to get it on platform. And surely they've seen Flipboard. Maybe it's a slightly better Flipboard. Maybe? I wouldn't say that it was <laughs> it's, it's not a new concept. Breakout success. Smart News was founded in 2014, was once valued at 2 right. billion. I don't know what it's valued at now. It had a Much really less. it had a Take really off great two zeros. Well, the question is like, what is their motivation? They obviously have a lot of personal wealth and maybe they don't want to create something that becomes a billion dollar social network again. At some point you become a gatekeeper, so you get to gate what content gets on your feed. And at some point, potentially you could build a subscription service out of it. I think that's the key here. Can you build what is actually a real bundle say hey do you want to pay subscriptions to the wall street journal yeah. and new york times and all of that and it's all bundled in and we take a buck off that yeah paid is always the glue for the bundle yes yes and i think what is interesting is this happening right now versus whenever flipboard came around what was it 10 12 years ago is the weight is always going to be to subscriptions Nobody in Silicon Valley is going out there and being, you know, we're going to like do premium digital advertising. That's how we're going to make money. I mean, give me a break. Nobody's going to do that anymore. I think that's what you're just seeing about all the AI stuff is that ads aren't even an option for a lot of this stuff because it's so expensive and fine. The prices will come down, but it doesn't work with an ad model. I think AI, and that's why you look at Snap. Snap came out with their own little AI chatbot thing based on chat GPT, apparently less creepy whatever, but it's, it's just available to their, they're, they're using it right now to drive subscriptions. So I don't, I think like subscriptions. Did you understand that? Can you explain that, Brian? What? what? Snapchat needed to put chat GPT into their kind of conversational environment so that I can speak to the robot instead of my friends. What, what, yes. what, what does it have to say to me? Is it trained on specific topics? Is it good with relationships? How is it different other than it's just not, manifest in a chat interface? I haven't used it, but I I think this is like the first of like several, not the first. There are going to be all these different versions using the same LLMs and the basic technology and ChatGPT and whoever else has the LLMs are going to just take their fee and people are going to build personalized versions of their own chatbots. And so if you wanted like a right wing chatbot to talk about grievances and stuff like this, you're going to get one. Yeah. How until we have a bundle that we're paying for to access multiple chatbots at once? I mean, that's coming. Exactly. Get the science bundle and you get all the smarty, smarty chatbots together or the SaaS bundle. I think anything that has a chat interface is going to have some sort of bot attached to it at some point that you can pay for. And I agree with Brian. The thing that makes me really exciting is that this could k finally kill advertising, which sucks and has never been oh, good. Oh, Jesus. I don't like it. Wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't wrote me into that one. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> I love advertising. I know, I know you both do. Advertising is, is, do. is essential. I, and, I spend and, half my time selling ads. Well, I feel sometimes that people selling ads are just doing it out of a grudge and say, if I have to waste my time on advertising, you viewers and readers have to waste your time on seeing this advertising. Advertise doesn't exist in the Star Trek future that I'm imagining. Do you, you want know? to tell us more? How are people that, <laughs> with commercial interests that yeah. want to sell more products served, Alex? I'm, I'm curious. Cause 
it, maybe it's just a different form of advertising that you're envisioning. If you plot a line, it should be that the products are so good and the people are so equipped with ways of communicating that good products get by by just being talked about. What about the mediocre products? They don't no longer need to exist. Or they become but not so... not everybody's in a student, Alex. What you're essentially saying with advertising is that, hey, Alex, we need a layer of lies applied to capitalism. Otherwise, people won't buy the shitty products. Otherwise, that's, people that's won't what just I'm buy the... <laughs> Precisely. Layer of lies. That's correct. The... It's another good ad network name. Yeah. <laughs> layer of lies. It's like a microbiome that needs to exist to kind of. What about just telling machine. stories about products to make you feel more compelled to be part of that narrative, Alex? What about? But why would those stories to... need to be told by middlemen? And you know, that's probably well, because if I tell, I mean, because you're, you know, you're peeing in the wind. You gotta, you gotta get your story heard by lots of people. So make something that's... good. Make something good. So here's the thing, though. I, and I hate to bring it back to AI because we have to make this like an AI podcast. But AI, and I, this isn't an original, something I read. I just don't know which. AI is really good. We've seen this at this gaslighting stuff. That is core to advertising. So advertising is going to get more effective with AI because what advertising does is perfect for AI. It's perfect. Absolutely perfect. I totally agree with you, particularly when it's unleashed at a skew level. When you can start pointing the AI at product features, at individual skews, and at price points so that I could simply say, tell me the best television according to these specific requirements. Tell me where it's available in my neighborhood, why I should buy it, what the price point is, and how do I get it delivered? That's AI advertising. To me, it's, it's going to be between advertising and sale. Well, it's sales. Instead of it just being advertising, it's going to be a true sales experience where just like you walk in, everything's going to be... You know, Watching you guys' eyes light up as you're talking about how AI is oh, going yeah. to make advertising better is a little bit like listening in on a weapons manufacturer get excited about a new war. It's just, this sounds yeah. terrible, guys. It's oh, a terrible I'm already thing. thinking about the AI advertising summit that the rebooting is I don't think it sounds terrible. It sounds like good service. But apropos to the, the artifact conversation, I think that the reason that new bundling mechanisms are being created now and why you'll see maybe a little renaissance in bundling is because of AI. And the ultimate bundler for me is one that imitates the way I get all of my news now and goes out and does all the work of fetching it and organizing it and condensing it and pointing out the stuff that I should be spending time on, the robot can do that for me. They're trying to do that, obviously, inside of Artifact with a smarter algorithm than what came before. But Flipboard didn't have a fancy algorithm. The, you know, AI is going to change how we go out and reconstitute all of these sort of fragmented bits of media around us. That's what's going to No, happen. and all I'm saying is I hope in that wash that advertising gets eradicated. It's a dream. Like it's a dream. Things. I mean, I know it's a dream, but it's unrealistic. Why shouldn't we look at a world where all the bad things are gone? I don't think advertising needs to exist. Just build a good thing. But I build think that you thing. need to be more specific about what types of advertising. The only I reason that... advertising exists is because advertising exists and it's an arms race. If nobody had advertising, nobody would need to advertise because you would hear about Top Gun Maverick because that was the movie that people were watching and talking about. Advertising benefits the corporations with 
deep pockets, always has. And I think that AI and more subscription-based bundles, to bring it back to the bundle, might be a great way to move away from that world. What do you think of more sort of service-oriented advertising? Like, like you know, PSAs? An affiliate link. No, no, no. Like you've searched for the best life insurance and you get a thoughtfully produced article that steers you towards the right solution and they get paid for passing you on through that link. Do you think that that's advertising? I think it depends on the context of what was presented to me. If the algorithm behind it is trying to find the best product, which is what targeted advertising should be, right? That it says, well, I'm not going to sell you the one that has the biggest margin. I might sell you the one that is best for you, Alex. Then I think that is a useful layer of commerce and targeting that I would be mm -hmm. supportive of. But it's not advertising anymore. It's really just being it's smart about recommendations. Area. But I think the way it's <laughs> yeah. done is probably moving more towards advertising than what Alex is describing. I mean, because ultimately there's a tension. There's a tension between what's best for you as the publisher of the best hair dryers or whatever, and what's best for the consumer. And this is the problem with advertising. There's always misaligned incentives. I just okay. also think Alex hasn't been getting the kinds of ads that he needs. So if we had ads for headphones and mushrooms and microphones and keyboards and stuff, he would be more positive. Yeah, this is an ad targeting problem yeah. mostly. Uh, oh, yeah, we just we, need more The of problem data. is ad targeting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any ad conference, if you want to get a bunch of heads nodding, just be like, people don't hate advertising. They hate irrelevant advertising. <laughs> is there a way to steer us back to the bundling conversation, Brian? The thing about bundling is that it becomes really useful once it's a paid bundle. I think advertising supported bundles are still an oddity to me. The ultimate bundle is the one where you just pay one price and you get everything, which yeah. is what happens with music. Mm -hmm. However, with music, if that's the way forward, I don't think media companies are going to like the 0.7 yeah. cents they get per thousand reads. I think the problem is when the publisher or the media entity is not the bundler, is the bundle. They give away a lot of the value. Are you paying for the bundling function or are you paying for the underlying content? And then how do you determine what the value is of the content underneath the bundle? Because it gives disproportionate power to the bundler. That's why everyone wants to be the bundler, not the bundle. Wasn't there a McDonald's character called Bundler? <laughs> there was a Hamburglar. Oh, it was the, the Bundler. The Bungler. The Ham Bundler. <laughs> Can we focus our attention on the TV bundle and where it's going? Because I hated the cable bundle and I still pay for the cable bundle via YouTube TV, which is a far better product than the cable bundle, technically, that it preceded or sorry, that it came after. But I want separate interfaces to content. I like that. I like a streamer with a point of view. So one of the things that I find, you know, and I don't think it's going to happen now, but there was some threat that they would roll that discovery junk into HBO. I don't want reality TV next to my pristine television. You and want so, a premium. You know, I want a premium bundle. Yeah, you don't want your, right. your what you're saying, Troy, is you don't want your ranker in your New York Times, basically. Is that what you're saying, Troy? Well, that sounds well that's like not exactly what <laughs> No, but but uh, I like to know that there's the a right there's a pretty fine, pretty fine tuned signal to noise kind of experience on my HBO, and I don't want like pimple poppers next to The Sopranos. I think a good way of doing that, and it hasn't been completely perfectly executed on because they haven't been able to strike every deal. But the Apple TV interface was meant to be a little bit of that, which is it created the idea of a bundle because you could pay for everything through your Apple account and I can list all the accounts that I have on Apple and I can cancel them easily, right? Except so, Netflix doesn't show up. Except fucking Netflix. And then the, <laughs> yeah. 
the the watch next feed, adding anything in one of those apps would add it into some central watch next feed, which would just open the I app. I mean, right? I got to tell you, That's I love perfect. that product, Alex. I like the product a lot. It's an incredibly hostile move from Apple. It is such a valuable position for them to have to own the interface to all of video media like that, leveraging you know their hardware, Apple TV and the phone to get there mm-hmm. and the whole ecosystem. To, and to, then build you know, an ad the business on top of it. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's nasty, but it's useful. And it's great. they're so good at interface, I very much appreciate it. I just bought the Apple One subscription. I get most of the stuff, then I add whatever thing I need to, even if it's more expensive, because I can remove them easily. And I know I'm like, I have the privilege of having enough money to do that. That seems to be the future. And people are always going to lean towards what's simpler and easier to use. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with having like a unique interface. You don't need to. It's like hotel rooms. Go back to it. They should mostly be structured the same way. So you just get in, you know what to do. I'm kind of with you, Brian, but I think this may be a place that's between what you're saying and what Troy is saying, which I don't mind having the streamer having a point of view, even though the HBO Max is a terrible app. But part of the issue is that there's no baseline standards around like changing, closed captioning, the forwarding is different. You know, that type of stuff should really be standardized across the board. And that still to this day is a nightmare. The fact that people keep trying to reinvent what skipping forward on a video would look like on the same bloody TV is nuts to me. Nuts. I mean, nobody's going to HBO Max for the interface. I know we talk about interfaces. It's for the last of us. I just want to watch the show. Uh, maybe I'm unique in that. Did you see it last night? I didn't see I it didn't, last night. No, I played the games. I know everything that's coming. It's a grim. Well, they went off grim, the game a little a bit. Story. I hate to hijack the moderator role, but the <laughs> uh, where does where where do we net out on the future of bundling in television? What, what oh, happens? I don't know. This is your this is your topic. What, what, what does happen? I don't have I don't have an opinion on it. I don't have an informed or uninformed opinion. You definitely get to a point where Apple and the people providing the pathways into the content gain more power, and you also end up with a lot less streamers. I think we have too many of those, and the economics don't make sense for them. So a lot of them are going to end up merging anyway. So you might have you know, an Apple TV with six apps on it, rather than the 12 we have today. And you might have a handful of premium but small like Criterion Collection and stuff like that. Sure. And these could be decent businesses. The streaming economics, I think they're tough. Everyone was just growing to grow. And now the Zoslav looks like pretty smart. He got out there early and was like, we got to make money off this stuff. Forget about this just like piling up subscriptions. Isn't HBO spending a lot less per minute of successful content than somebody like Netflix is? Netflix is hugely wasteful in the way it creates content. It throws so many things at the wall. And there's still like an advantage to companies like HBO, which for some reason have the ability to create hit after hit. You know, HBO is kind of the Apple of media companies. They must have used AI to do that, right? Right? Apple is quickly becoming the Apple of media companies. I mean, incredible, incredibly. Yeah. Considering where they started. Do you remember that? Well, Do you remember so, a Planet of the Apps? Do you remember Planet of the Apps, their first show? Oh, uh, yeah. That was also, what is it? Car- car- is that Carpool Gary Karaoke? Was Carpool one. Karaoke, yeah. Yeah, nightmares. Nightmare shows. So, Brian, how do we put a bow around this? <laughs> I don't know how we put a bow around the future of bundling in media. I don't know, Troy. How would you put a bow on it? Well, the future of bundling is AI and anybody who can get far enough up the stack to hold you into the bundle. Is that true? It's not going to get any less fragmented because there's too many people that want to create content and have the means to do it. So there's going to continue to be innovation around the interfaces that give you access to that content. And increasingly, the hard work of aggregating up will be done by robots. Yeah, and I think there's going to be such a demand for... What was the app you just mentioned that kind of creates a bite-sized version of subscription thing, that European one? Informed. People will get really used to the idea of things that can 
can give them a snippet of the news. And I expect to make this real a little bit that I would pay a premium news bot that says, you know, we don't have Ranker, we only have New York Times and Wall Street Journal and stuff like that. You pay that news bot 10 bucks. You don't maybe don't get to read the articles, but you ask it to give you a, a transcript every day of what's happened. And that's that. Yeah. I think people are just going to be using it like that. It's going to be the ultimate bubble. Yeah. Imagine watching a show that's essentially all your favorite shows together merged by an AI. The Last of Us with some severance with some Ted Lasso in it all together. Should be great. Yeah, and, and that's the what economics gonna be. are going to be a total mess. So it's going to be fun. It'll be fun to, to sort out. And look at that. No more advertising. How great. Now, advertising finds a way. Advertising always finds a way. We need it unless we get rid of capitalism. We're never getting rid of advertising. And we're not getting rid of capitalism. I always bet on capitalism. Sad state of affair. How do you react to the term late stage capitalism? I think that's passe now. Doesn't that suggest it's coming to an end, Brian? I mean, it suggests it. I look at history. Everything does eventually end. Capitalism was made up. It wasn't the natural order of things on the planet. It's just made up. And we keep making compromises on it. It does feel like capitalism is getting kind of maximized and optimized. Maybe we should name capitalism like phases in the Marvel universe. This is like the phase four capitalism with all the multiverse stuff and it's eating itself. This is the one where advertising dies. I like that Alex has become this kind of proponent after he got rich with capitalism. That's the best way. That is the best way to do it though. Let's be real. Yeah, no, I think capitalism will adapt. It always adapts. It always, always, always adapts. And it has a good track record. And honestly, inequality has been going down, not up. I'm going to, I can't blame the pro capitalist person from Comfort Plus here. But yeah. Somebody probably wrote this on a scroll at the end of the Roman Empire. But yes. <laughs> it'll, <laughs> it'll come back. It'll, it'll be fine. Right I'm coming around. Maybe it's because I've been in Miami the last week. I hey, man. I'm optimistic. I want to see it all burned down. I want to see it all washed away and changed a little bit. There's going to be a readjustment to so many things. And some of those could be really exciting. I do feel that things that benefit large companies with a lot of capital, advertising, where you can flood advertising, or like production values, where you can only make a movie that's this big for $100 million. All of those things are changing with AI. And I think that's exciting because there's going to be new conglomeration and new big companies that can do things that small shops can't do. But it's going to even the playing field for a little bit, just long enough to chip away, yeah. chip away at this stuff. That part I'm very excited about within a capitalist yeah, you, system. Should you want to reach 15,000 influential people in the media marketing industry, Brian has a newsletter that you can yeah, underwrite. absolutely. I part ways with Alex on this one. I'm very pro-capitalism, very pro-advertising. Maybe the place for advertising is, is purely to be a Patreon of the arts like us. So let's say Supreme, which I talked about earlier, wanted to sponsor this show. I'd be okay with that. How about if someone like Taboola wanted to sponsor Fuck it? them. No. Hmm. There Ranker? goes one opportunity. Like, like, there's, 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 there's a sandwich. There's a sandwich of sadness that's wrapping beautiful content, and one of them is SEO via Google, and the other one is all that like supportive content, like the Tabula stuff, and that's just like squeezing what was great about the internet. So, well, you, we have to do an entire episode. Trash at the top, YouTube. trash at the bottom. What's very interesting is, at least that I've been told, is that. A lot of the stuff in the content rec ad networks and the stuff that you're referring to, I think the Tofunga stuff, is really a phenomenon for the most part of English-speaking markets. It's because they're so big and so deep. There's so many opportunities for arbitrage with English language content that these networks don't necessarily see as much in other markets. Plus, the incidence of toe fungus is reduced in places where you don't wear shoes as often and, and <laughs> you know, live urban existence. Oh, and, and, and restless leg syndrome. 
Like if you actually walk around? That was, episode was you know, even, even better than I thought it would be. Do we need good products? Yeah, I got a good product, I think, or two. This week I was a little under pressure to get a good product. I thought it could be my Marzocco espresso machine. I mean, you have to test it. Oh, man. That's a humble right. brag, Marzocco. Oh, no, no, no. Or it could be the ECM Titan 64 espresso grinder. It could be a nice cashmere cardigan or a well-worn jean shirt. It could be a broken-in pair of Todd suede boots or something like that, which I'm mm, personally kind of partial to. That's relatable. I have, yeah. Can we check audience <laughs> Wait, 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 Brian, Brian. I assure yes. you that this is one of the most beloved parts of the podcast. And then I called up the guru of products. I actually texted him shortly before this episode, and that's Eric Yang from Gear Patrol. And mm, Eric knows yeah. a lot about good products. He was doing jur- jury duty or something. Anyway, he managed to text me back. He said, the Uni pizza oven. He said it's a phenomenon and it's a great product. Hey, yeah. And I have no idea because I've never used one, so that can't be my good product. And then I asked him if there was a color that he suggested as a good product, and he said midnight green. He said it's premium and it works well with anything. He could go on a car or a jacket or a phone. And he said it's premium, but it's not black or blue. So I thought that was good, but none of that matters to me, okay? Because my good Eagles, product it's is also the Eagles cover the color I would say that midnight green Kelly Green jersey yeah. but and my good product of the week is Harriet the dog because it's better than any of that Harriet's my dog and I oh. had her on the beach yesterday and she was just burning around and just was so free and just absolutely savoring every minute of the run and was just so overflowing with joy that gave me joy. And that is the best product you could ever have. Yep. A happy dog. That's true. Dogs are a good product because they were actually created by humans. That's what we turn wolves into over 10,000 years by throwing the bad ones into a ditch and just keeping the funny looking ones until we got the ones. And they're realistic. You know, mm. they know where their bread is buttered and they they know they got no shot unless they are cute and obedient and loyal and all the stuff that yeah. like it's really actually so, quite tra it's, it's quite tower. tragic. <laughs> it's That's, quite tragic. It's, it's actually funny that you, you appreciate the dog because the dog, you know, accepts its place and is, you know, it's a, it likes power. You know? <laughs> it pays well. homage to power. That's what that's what dogs one day wolves are going to figure it out and see what we did to them and bundle themselves into just a giant <laughs> horde of attack wolves. That's the future. Thank you all for listening. I want to encourage you again to leave a rating or review on Apple, or I think you can do this on Spotify and other podcast platforms. It helps people discover this podcast and it also gives us people to thank in the intro. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Wow. All well, right. we, uh, we were really happy to have Alex on the podcast. This week. <laughs> thank you guys. Yeah. Well, we love you, dog, Troy. Harry, Harry the, the dog. dog. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.